Welcome to the Macro Setup. I'm Guy Adami. I'm joined, as always, by my dear friend, Dan Nathan. This week's Macro Setup brought to you by our presenting sponsor, IGUS, one of the fastest growing foreign exchange dealers in North America. And it's fitting, Dan, that today is February 2nd, Groundhog's Day, because in terms of the S&P 500 and other things, it seems like just keeps we're just here once again groundhog's day again bill murray wakes up same time and here's the market it's been incredible but along the lines along the way a lot's happened since last week and obviously everybody wants to talk about gamestop and i don't want to get granular in the name but i think it speaks to such a bigger thing dan in terms of trading and investing and the differences between the two yeah, well, I got you, babe, on Groundhog Day. You nice. Know, drill here. Um, yeah, there we go. I mean, listen, you know, it's really interesting. You talked about, um, you know, the S&P where it is. We're, again, within a couple percent or one percent um, of the all-time highs. We did have a four and a half percent peak to trough decline um, last week. Um, and it was pretty subtle in a way when you think about on the index level, considering the palpitations that we saw in some individual names. Make no mistake about it, guy. I think we will be looking back on what happened this week, despite the fact that it wasn't a huge market moving event, we will be thinking about it as it relates to the plumbing of markets, to the democratization of just access to financial markets, the way we trade, the way regulators weigh in, the way influencers mm-hmm. influence those, you know what I mean? So I just think it's kind of interesting. And you and I can maybe take a step back for a second here is that, you know, it, there seemed to be a movement brewing, right? There seemed to be a lot of anger. There was an online mob that was Mm -hmm. going after some stocks that they thought that they could inflict some pain on what they were calling the suits, you know, and that's the man, right? And so I I guess my, my, you know, and this is an honest question to you, you know, I've been in the markets for 25 years. I've never really seen anything outwardly so aggressive um, trying to inflict damage. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, there's always those, the, you know, the, the kind of underbelly of the financial markets. And we know the boiler room stuff and that sort of thing. And that was just greed. In this case, they were literally trying to inflict damage, or at least that's what they would have you believe. That's what some people would have you believe. And it's this anti-establishment fervor that's been going on now seemingly for the last three or four years. That's not a political comment. That just is what it is. I think there's so many verticals now that the anti-establishment crew, gang, um, cadre has found their way into. And now they found their way into the equity markets and to trading and or investing. By the way, the two are extraordinarily uh, dissimilar. The two couldn't be further apart. And I think that's what you're seeing now more than anything. In terms of uh, inflicting pain, I understand that. I, I understand the language that they're using and stick it to the man and those types of things. But my concern has been all along that the person or group of people that are going to get the most hurt in this are the people that started it in the first place. And I think there's a puppet master here that has not been identified that's really been pulling all these strings. So in a lot of ways to me, this is not, this is just the movie Boiler Room 2.0. It's just that whole philosophy manifesting itself in a much different way and quite frankly in a much larger way. Yeah, I guess the real shame is it's to your point that we know who ends up getting hurt. You know, you and I were talking about this every night on Fast Money last week. You know, at the end of the day, it's going to be the high frequency traders, the, the the firms that have the tricked out algos, the, the firms that trade vol, right? The firms that make money on bid ask 
spreads. You know, they're going to all make out. SEC lawyers are going to be really busy and former SEC lawyers are going to be really busy yeah. making a lot of money. And so at the end of the day, what's, what I find sad about the whole situation is that I do believe that it's going to be the small investor that's going to end up being hurt. And when we talk about what's just gone on, you know, this game stock went from $20 to $480 last week. And as we talk right now on, on uh, Tuesday, you know, um, Tuesday morning, the stock's at $100, you know? And so the whole notion of holding on to stocks to stick it to the man, the memes, all that stuff, they're in it for, and you know, on the Reddits, these guys were saying, we don't care if we lose money. You will care if you lose money. And I just make one last point is that, you know, moving over to like silver, that seemed to be the thing that we wanted to do. Well, silver's down 8% today, you know? And so I guess my point is, is like money does not grow on cheese. And I will tell you that one of the most important things about investing is capital preservation. And this doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, anywhere related to that. And one last point, and I've said this probably every year, you know, frequently when I'm having difficult trading periods or whatever, trading is hard. It's a hard game. It's a different muscle than investing. Investing, if you hold on and you do some smart work and you kind of dollar cost average when things are bad and you do, you know, you do everything right when things are, you make money over time. Trading is a very different skill set. Well, and my concern here, Dan, to your point, and by the way, we're going to bring on Chris Vecchio from Daily FX because obviously we want to talk about what's been going on in the dollar over the last week and a half because there's a lot been going on. But just to sort of wrap this conversation up, my concern is what started out as a trade for a lot of these folks in GameStop is going to turn into an investment, and that's going to be disastrous in terms of how it winds up because I do think, Dan, there's still a lot of people that believe if they just hold on to their shares and don't sell, by definition, the price has to go back up. And you've learned it. I've learned it. Most people have learned it the hard way. That's not necessarily the case. So I hope everybody's doing OK. I hope this has been a lesson for some folks. For me, it's sort of been a voyeuristic thing. I've been watching from afar. I've seen this before in commodities uh, in terms of silver. But it's fascinating that it's manifested itself in the equity markets. Yeah, let's talk about um, a couple other macro themes here. You know, obviously, um, you know, one of the one of the ideas here and why this came about is that, you know, because of the pandemic, because of all the fi- uh, the, the, the fiscal stimulus, the money that was put in people's bank accounts with their inability to work last year, sports betting um, didn't exist because a lot of sports didn't exist. These people came to the stock market. We've talked about it before, millions and millions of new accounts to online brokerage firms. And it was, you know, it was gamified. You and I've discussed this ad nauseum. So here it is. It's kind of the culmination um, of all of these things in play. And, and, you know, that's the real danger. I know that there's been some discussion, um, you know, that there's going to be obviously further fiscal stimulus. There's going to be new checks going to people. The whole point is, and this is a meme, or I guess the kids call it, you know, the memes, um, you know, the Mm -hmm. stimmy checks are going right into the markets. So, just broadening out, and then let's get to the equity markets here, okay? So that if the notion is that consumer balance sheets are in great um, shape and these people are going to put the money in the stock market, all the power to them, um, the question is, if we have a mountain of cash coming to the markets, will we just see multiple expansion? We already have the S&P 500, the NASDAQ within you know earshot of all-time highs. Do we start justifying higher valuations? Um, and what does that mean going 
going forward. Let's just pull up the S&P 500 and chart. I want to hear what your thoughts are here because there will be new money coming into the markets. And if people aren't concerned about valuations and they're excited about low interest rates forever and continued QE, what does that do to the S&P 500? Here's a one-year chart. Get in there, big guy. I think valuations always matter, Dan. and, And I know there are a lot of people that think we're in this new dynamic now, this new paradigm where vis-a-vis all the money that's floating around the system, everything the Federal Reserve has done, everything central banks have done globally means that valuations don't matter and stocks will just continue to ratchet to the upside. And listen, for a long time, short of a couple moves to the downside, these guys and gals have been right. I think at a certain point, it's all going to come cascading down. We saw a hint of it, obviously, last week with that significant move to the downside. And we're going to talk about the VIX in a second as well. But obviously, the market's recovered in a meaningful way. It's fascinating to me how every one of these sell-offs is shorter and shorter lived, and this lower left to upper right scenario in the S&P 500 continues. But be very careful, folks. Valuations do matter. And as we're speaking now, the S&P 500 is trading around 24 times next year's uh, earnings. And that is just a lofty, um, extraordinarily rich valuation in any scenario. So Although there are going to be a lot of people that tell you valuations don't matter, specifically Jerome Powell effectively told you that a month ago, that in this uh, interest rate environment, valuations really don't matter. They do matter. And the problem is when the market figures that out, it's going to be very quick, in my opinion, to the downside, Dan. Yeah. So looking at this two-year chart of the SPX, we saw that 3550 was at September 2nd high. We obviously broke out and failed um, in early November after the uh, the Pfizer vaccine news. But then if you look at the six-month chart here, um, you see this really nice trend channel that we've We've held, there was a couple breaks of it, um, but it's held that 50-day moving average. We're still well above that 200-day. Um, mm-hmm. And it looks like we can see the S&P 500, you know, testing that 39.50 or so, which would be the upper band, however you want to draw these. You get the point. We're getting, you know, 3,900 is the kind of the target here. I'll just mention this, uh, you know, um, we had Microsoft, we had Apple, that was $4 trillion in market cap last week, report really great earnings. Those stocks sold off afterwards. Microsoft is kind of um, getting back toward the highs. Apple is moving up a little bit, but still has some room to go tonight. After the close, we have Amazon and we have Google. That's about $3 trillion in market cap. I suspect both of those quarters to be great. I guess to the point is, is if the stocks can't rally, if we have those those big four that are about $5 trillion, um, or actually $7 trillion in market mm-hmm. cap, excuse me, if the market can't rally on that, then we might be looking back down at 3550, which was that support level, I would say, from you know resistance back in the fall. And that might be a really good way to kind of reorient investors to how this pandemic is going, what the inoculation schedule looks like, when we're going to get back to pre-pandemic levels, what sort of stimulus we're going to get, and really set up for a proper move to new highs. You know, That's kind of my take here on the SPX. Yeah, and real quick, and I know we want to get to another chart, but real quick, you know, you mentioned uh, Apple and you mentioned Microsoft. I'm glad you did. Mm-hmm. Not to get granular here, but we're talking about a forward S&P that's trading 24 times. You're talking about uh, Apple and Microsoft right now as we speak are trading either side of 32 times next year's numbers. I mean, those are historic valuations for both those companies, a multiple in some cases of what they've traded historically. And again, there'll be people that will justify that and tell you that it's fine. Just remember, everything mean reverts. And you're talking about nosebleed areas for the broader market and nosebleed areas for these two stocks. Anyway, Dan, I know we want to talk about GameStop real quick in terms just to visually see the chart. 
because I think it's important just to see what the hell's going on here. Yeah, that was a $20 billion market cap at some point last week. I don't think there was anybody who could make a fundamental, um, you know, point why that deserved to be there. And it's coming back. So, you know, the shorts were taken out, um, you know, those on, on the on the Reddit boards, they did what they set out to do. But to your point, there's going to be a lot of investors holding the bag and trying to convince themselves why uh, this stock deserves to be at 80, 90, 100 when it was just at 20 um, a month ago. You know, I mean, we just highlight that chart, you know, because what goes up comes down. Um, Look at this SLV chart. This is the ETF that tracks silver. A much different ball of wax here. This is just a different game trying to move around a global commodity that uh, has multiple uh, iterations as it relates to financial assets there's the bullion, there's the paper, there's the ETFs, there's the futures, you know, all that sort of stuff. Give us a quick take on how you think the silver thing plays out. I know Chris is going to be talking about the commodity later, um, but just, you know, this is not GameStop is kind of the point that I would make. No, of course not. And listen, you know, I'd only mention this, Dan, because it's out there. It's been out there for years. um, But there's this notion, notion that JP Morgan somehow controls the silver market in a nefarious way. And again, I only mention that because it's out there in the public ether and it's been out there for quite some time. And I think why you're seeing this in silver is that same group, that that same mindset that wants to sort of, again, stick it to the suits. Well, here's an opportunity to sort of stick it to JP Morgan. And I think that's a lot of what's going on here. Whether whether there's any veracity to that or, or not, I have no idea. It's been out there literally for decades. But I'll tell you that when you read these boards and when you see uh, some of the rhetoric that's out there, invariably one out of every three conversations in terms of silver, the JP Morgan name comes up. So does it make sense? Well, I think silver makes sense in the context of what we've talked about for a while now. The dollar, I think, will continue to move lower, albeit off this little bounce we've seen. And I think gold and silver and precious metals are going to work. But I think with the move you've seen in silver over the last week, is not based on that. It's based on sort of this GameStop phenomenon, Dan. All right. So exactly a week ago, Guy, on Tuesday, when this GameStop thing was really starting to kind of make its way into um, the financial press in a big way, um, you had a very prescient call mm. that you thought that the VIX in the low 20s was way too cheap. And you thought that, I don't know, did you say north of 30 uh in a snap like that. Well, we got that. Um, we got to the high 30s. Um, I think that obviously the worries by um, a lot of mar- market participants is that the ripples of this short squeeze um, were, were far and wide. They had to do with, um, you know, prime brokers at the big banks, um, broker dealers um, with capital requirements, regulators, that sort of thing. So people kind of um, reached for the volatility markets um, for protection pretty quickly. What's your take on the VIX here? And do you think we're going to be back towards the low 20s very soon. Unbelievable, right? So I, I think what, one of the things I said was I thought you could see the VIX trade back up to that June high, that 40 level yeah. over the next month, month and a half. In my wildest dreams, I didn't think it was going to happen in three trading days, but that's effectively what did happen. I think it actually printed 39 and changed into VIX. And as we <laughs> speak now, it's probably either side of a 26 handle. So the volatility in the volatility index has been extraordinary as well. Do I think we get back down to 21 and a half? Yeah, vis-a-vis the comment you made before about the S&P moving to the upper end of that trend, 3,900 would make a lot of sense. But once again, I think if and when we get down there, it's going to be the same scenario over and over again. And listen, we went from 
21 and a half to 39 in the VIX. And again, I'll mention this because it's important. I've said it a few different times over the last month and a half in what was a pretty benign market move. It was not some crazy down 1,500 Dow points, down 600 NASDAQ points move. It was basically one of your run-of-the-mill sell-offs we've seen over and over again, yet the volatility index almost doubled in a day. To me, that is extraordinarily telling, Dan, and it speaks to the fact that the VIX is on a hair trigger, which means, in my opinion, the broader market is as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, on Wednesday, Fed Chair Powell was asked about GameStop. You know, if you don't think that there's going to be repercussions um, across multiple markets about people reevaluating risk that's being taken all over the place, um, especially given interest rates and given the leverage that's taking. I mean, look at how uh, margin requirements went up across all over the board, across a lot of different risk assets that could take a little air out of the market. So I suspect like you, if you see the VIX back in the low 20s, um, that is time to start uh, reaching for protection, in my opinion. Speaking of protection, um, it seems that the safety trade is that NASDAQ 100, the QQQ, the ETF, the tracks at the NASDAQ, the NDX. We know that those top six stocks, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, Tesla, Facebook, make up close to $7.5 trillion, $8 trillion in market cap. They make up 45% of the weight of the NASDAQ 100. That is an index of 100 stocks. Half of it is six stocks. Okay. So look at that trend channel that we've drawn there. We have the one-year chart, the NDX is up 100% from those March lows. Um, Obviously, the outperformance in those major names, really important here. Um, But do you think there's more room to squeeze, Guy? We have, we just mentioned Apple or Amazon and Google report tonight. If we see blowouts, and I know I have an Amazon chart I want to get to, um, but if we see Amazon breaking out of this long consolidation, do you see the NDX squeezing up towards 14,000? Well, that's the upper end of the line, right? And and I'm glad you brought this chart up because it's important to understand. This is a two-year chart. So that steep uptrend you see is exactly that steep. And the higher we go, the more vulnerable Mm -hmm. it becomes to the downside. But markets, you know, bull markets typically end on extraordinarily good news. And you could see it this evening on the back of both those companies you mentioned. It makes perfect sense that Google Alphabet will have another blowout quarter the way they did uh, last quarter. And same thing with Amazon. And you saw it, obviously, in terms of Microsoft and Apple as well. So maybe you do have that crescendo on the back of these earnings reports, but the farther and farther away we get from that 200-day moving average, which is yeah. over time always mean reverting, uh, the more dangerous this market becomes. And I think we should put up our next chart, which is obviously the six-month chart in the NASDAQ because it flattens things out a bit, but it's pretty much the same story. You saw that horizontal line that you drew there, Dan, where you know it makes yeah. sense, 12,500 or so being... Uh, where we go back to and take a look at, and we'll see what happens if and when we get there. In the meantime, we're probably going to trend to the upper end of that channel that you drew so well. Yeah, but I guess it's just crazy to think about when you look at the uh, 200-day moving average in the NDX at 12,200 or so. I mean, that's also coincides with the, the November lows. And you consider the fact that we haven't even gotten to the potential regulation. There's tons of lawsuits from the FTC to the DOJ. Uh, you know, listen, I, I think the, the, the NASDAQ, when vol gets cheap in the NASDAQ 100 and the QQQ, I think you want to own it. You want to own protection. Um, in the QQQ versus those names that you know and love that make up a big percentage of it. That's where I go to in the QQQ. Let's just pull up that Amazon chart really quickly because I think it's really interesting. The S&P 500, the NASDAQ have made a series of new um, all-time highs over the last four or five months and Amazon has not made a new high 
since August, um, which I think is really interesting. Or maybe that was like September 2nd or so. It September tried to do 2nd. That. Yeah, I think that's yeah. exactly right. It tried to do it again in October. Um, here we are again. I would just make one point that, you know, it's really hard to move around a big stock like this in a meaningful way to get a massive breakout about 3,500 on one print. And I would just take you back to much, much smaller name. But, you know, Netflix people were not expecting a huge quarter. The stock was consolidating just like Amazon. It gapped up to a new high. But then it failed and it filled in that entire gap. So I I, I can see good news in Amazon being sold uh, near that resistance level. Yeah. And real quick, you know, obviously, folks that are trading, this is just my take, not a recommendation. But Amazon, to me, sets up where you fade the initial move. What does that mean? Well, if you see a blowout number and the stock yeah. spikes to the upside, I think you could take advantage of that by taking profits in the name. Or if you want to be, if you have the temerity in this environment, maybe to short the name and flip side. If you were to see a miss for some reason and you saw a, a precipitous drop, uh, you might be able to fade that move as well by getting back yeah. into the name. I think it, this doesn't happen all the time, Dan, but for my take, this is exactly the way Amazon sets up in earnings tonight. And I think it's important. You know, I know we want to get to Chris Vecchio in a second, but yields have been fascinating as well. Uh, I think you've done a really good job with this in terms of pointing out that, hey, folks, if you think yields are going higher, guess again. Uh, but here we are, you know, you've seen, you saw obviously the move from, I think, 1.8, 1.18%, excuse me, in the 10 year no. down to 1%. Now we're bouncing again. Yields are creeping higher again. It's still that uptrend line that you've drawn since basically early August is still intact. I know what your view is, but has anything changed? Did that move back to 1% and the subsequent bounce change your mind? Or you still think we're headed lower? No, I listen, I, I think that as long as you kind of hold that uptrend near term from a technical perspective, that looks great. You know, we've shown the chart on the macro setup over the last few weeks of the long term chart. Just look at the 10 year chart and you see that 1.4, 1.5% is going to be massive technical resistance. So could I see us getting there? No doubt about it. Um, and, and, you know, that makes sense with the equity markets moving higher. Um, obviously, the Fed remains dovish, but they don't really control the ability for, you know, investors to get in front of that move. I just don't think you're going to see this thing above 1.5 um, anytime soon. And I also think that if you break that downtrend and we see rates going lower, it's not going to be great um, for equities. Let's go over um, to crude. I know this has been um, a focus of yours. The energy market's also holding a really nice uptrend. Here's like a nine-month chart. I don't have that bit where crude went negative here, but you see that it's been consolidating over the last few weeks. We're getting a breakout today. Um, you know, we've also seen the dollar rising. Obviously, we're going to talk about um, that with Chris. What's your take on crude right here? Listen, crude's going higher here. And it's, it's, it's one of those things. Be careful what you wish for, because I do think the crude move continues to grind higher. And I think it's going to catch a lot of people off guard. It's moved higher in the wake of a dollar that's rallied over the last week, week and a half. Uh, and it, and it, to me, it speaks to the inflationary forces that are out there and the way to play these things has been in these levered energy names, specifically names like uh, Phillips 66 or so, which traded up to 75, back down to 65, probably either side of $70 now. But if I look at this chart, and again, similar trend line, lower left to upper right since basically the end of October, I think this uptrend is intact. And oh, by the way, if you get that dollar meaningful dollar soft, like I think we're going to have, I think yeah. this thing just continues to move at an even higher pace, Dan. 
Yeah, well, let's let's see. That trend line is important. I think if you have a break of that, you see 46 or so, um, you know, coming in the not so distant future, especially when we see lots of the globe still in lockdown as the pandemic is raging. Let's go one last chart before we hit the dollar and bring Chris in. This is Bitcoin, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, you know, obviously had that parabolic move in December, um, topped out at about 40,000, came back to 30. And here we are at like 35,000, breaking that downtrend over the last month or so, despite the fact that the dollar has been rallying a little bit. I'm I'm not going to ask for your comment. I'm just kind of highlighting it because to me, you know, kind of squaring the circle with that speculative further further that we've talked about in the market, I think Bitcoin is very much um, part of that. I think there's a lot of the same players um, rooting on both of the Wall Street bets thing and also Mm -hmm. the Bitcoin. And lastly, let's just look at the Dixie before we bring Chris in and I'm going to let you introduce him. But, you know, we've kind of hit this chart on numerous occasions. You see that downtrend um, from the March highs. Um, You know, we just broke it today. I mean, we broke that downtrend. Just so just be cognizant of that. And then you look at where resistance was around 92 in the Dixie. That's a big level. Chris will get a bit more granular. I know that you want to sell that sort of move, but it's it's making a a nice little short term bottom where it should have um, around 89. Um, Would you agree with that? No, you're, you've been spot on and you've said for a while, you know, this is a crowded trade and, and you're pressing against something that maybe is a little too difficult in terms of a short position. And you were anticipating this bounce and you got it. It's interesting to me. It's going to be interesting to see if the equity move to the upside continues. Will we continue to see the strength in the dollar? And if the rhetoric and if some of the things have been talked about in D.C. in terms of stimulus programs and Fed response and those types of things continue to continue and come to fruition, uh, does this can do we see a continuation to the downside, which I think is a great segue to bring in Chris Vecchio, a strategist from Daily FX. Chris, thanks for joining Dan and myself for the macro setup. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. You heard the conversation we're having and, and we wanted to bring in quickly, obviously, to get your thoughts. But you heard some of the things we said. I mean, broadly speaking, you've seen the dollar rally here. What are your thoughts? Right. So the break of that downtrend, the pandemic downtrend, if you will, is pretty significant. And uh, as was pointed out, it does appear that there's some former range support that comes into play right around that 92.20 area, uh, north of 92, as Dan was just discussing. You know, the big picture, though, for the dollar is that this could be a short term recovery as we see U.S. yields move up. The bigger picture on the technical chart right now is still uh, what could be a multi-year double topping pattern. The break of the rising trend line off the lows that we had in 2012, 2013, 2018, uh, that's very significant. And in an environment defined by low rates, growing deficits, growing debts, likely going to see more of that under Biden. Um, it's an environment that really speaks poorly for the U.S. dollar as real yields continue to erode. It's very much like 2009, 2010, 2011, pre-austerity, which probably is going to come into play at some point in time uh, on the Republican side, but not soon. Uh, And with Democrats having two chances at budget reconciliation this year, because the Senate Republicans didn't use one of them last year, it's likely that we're going to get a big upfront program now. I know these efforts towards bipartisanship are perhaps some window dressing, but we're going to get a big stimulus program now. We're going to get infrastructure at the end of the year once COVID begins to move a little bit more in the rearview mirror. So more stimulus is coming. Um, and, And to that point about stimulus in general markets, so a really interesting statistic last week from uh, your former employer guy, Goldman Sachs, put out uh, the fact that February 2009 saw the last time we had this uh, liquidation of hedge fund positions. February 2009 was pretty close to the market bottom in March 2009. 
you don't see that kind of turnover close to a top. It's usually closer to a low. Um, so right now with all the stimulus in the pipeline, yes, the dollar, it looks okay. But if stocks continue to go up, if we see that erosion of real yields, it's probably not going to be that significant of a bounce. All right. So you want to fade the dollar here. What does that mean for gold? You know, we've talked about gold a bunch on the macro setup. Obviously, it had that massive move last year. But since August, it's really been in a downtrend. So if you're bearish dollar, what does it mean for gold? And why doesn't gold participate? We just had that Bitcoin chart. Is it a a swap out of the the bullion into the digital gold? And and just give us your take here. What's the trade in gold? So with gold prices, you know, I think what we're looking at here is some tough sledding because of the yield picture. In the near term, with a pair like dollar-yen going up, with the U.S. 10-year yield going up, it's an environment that speaks to uh, real yields moving against the appeal of gold. And stocks continue to move to the top side. And we're beginning to see better news about vaccinations and vaccination rates here in the United States. This idea that gold serves as a hedge against, say, sovereign incompetence that aspect of the trade is certainly disappearing. And with inflation expectations perking up alongside yields right now, it's been a wash on the real yield front. But I, I do think that there still is potential here uh, for more gains over the course of the year. I remain a gold bull given the fundamental and technical backdrop. If we do break below this trend line, however, which is a shorter term one from the March and November uh, swing lows here, it does put us back on track to test those, we'll call it the post-beginning pandemic lows, closer to that 1764 uh, handle. I don't think that's out of the question. I'd be very interested in taking a buy down there. From my mm-hmm. point of view, I like adding exposure to gold. But um, as I pointed out to uh, some of our clients and, and readers on the website, I prefer other metals to gold. I like silver better. I like copper better. Why? Because they have industrial processes. They have greater utility for a growth story. And if this is an environment like 2009, 10, 11, uh, those metals did better than gold. So I would like to have exposure elsewhere in the precious metal space, uh, even if gold still has a, a bright future. Yeah, Chris, well, I'd like to jump real quick. Obviously, for the guys and gals at IG that are interested in this, your take on the euro and then subsequently uh, the pound. I know, you know, again, fascinating series of events in all different currencies, but specifically those two. Can you speak to the euro and then we'll talk about the pound? Sure. Well, with the, with the dollar index potentially bottoming and breaking uh, the downtrend from the March high, we have to look at the euro as it is 57.6% of the broader dollar index. But the euro story itself right now is not compelling for many reasons. There's some questions around uh, Ursula von der Leyen's handling of the, the crisis. We're seeing that she's suggesting that we slow down the rates of inoculation in Europe, which to me seems kind of crazy. Uh, the German chancellor recently just said that they may need to extend the lockdown until June. So all of a sudden, the euro at the start of the crisis really looked like it was one of the better positioned currencies insofar as its leaders were showing competence and organization towards addressing things. They haven't made any significant efforts since then. Uh, the, The rescue package is still frail. And the ECB is desperately trying to weaken this currency. In a past iteration of the show back in December, we discussed the ECB targeting the euro. They don't like to see it get more than 5% beyond their year-end expectation. For this year, it's 118. You slap a 5% premium on top of that, you're going into the mid-123s, and that's just where euro topped out. They've said two things in the past week that are particularly eye-opening. One, they want to conduct an exchange rate study in order to see why the euro, despite having lower inflation, lower growth than the US dollar, still has a stronger currency. And two, 
They said that markets are underpricing rate cut expectations. If those aren't direct efforts to try to weaken the currency, I don't know what is in the jawboning world for central banks. So that near-term current right now serving to undercut the euro, again, it's something that adds to the narrative that we could be seeing a near-term dollar bounce. All right. So Chris, um, you know, if I look at that Euro chart, I draw a trend line from let's call it mid-May or so, and I connect it to that early November low, and we are right on that uptrend here. So are you playing for, or do you suggest we could see a break? Because 120 is also that technical resistance that we saw back in August and September. And how low do you think the Euro could go on a break of that uptrend? So con- being consistent with what the move in the dollar index looks like uh, and-, and seeing as how that pound dollar actually is proving quite sturdy throughout all of this, I would think that the euro could come back in closer to 118. I'm not looking to play the bounce off of this trend line here, as I do think the dollar index is a better indicator for which way this market is moving. Uh, again, the pound being a constituent of the dollar index is helping distort things. But the euro picture for me, it looks like we're due for a little bit of a pullback, even a pair like euro yen. Uh, Euro CAD, those pairs are struggling too, despite the fact that those currencies have been seeing some weakness. I'm not really a fan of the euro at this moment in time. It's a real, real mixed bag for me, no matter where you look. Yeah, Chris, I'm glad you, glad you brought that up. Pound yen is another one you want to speak to. And you know, all these crosses get very interesting for a myriad of different reasons, but you brought us a chart there. Can you speak to this? Yeah. So with the dollar having this uh, potential for a near-term rebound right now, it doesn't get lost to me that the British pound has been one of the better performing major currencies in the last few weeks. They've been quite resilient post-Brexit. And I think the market is optimistic that their economy will get back to normal sooner than others, thanks to their, we'll call it unique vaccine protocols. They're trying to get all these first doses out before uh, a second dose regime within three weeks. And as a result, there, there are some reasons to believe that the economy may prove a little bit more resilient than some of its counterparts, or at least what markets were pricing in. Now, if we're going to see a dollar-yen rebound as U.S. yields go up, pound-dollar may be held back. But pound-yen still has a chance to rally, particularly if equity markets are on the up and up. And I see a long-term bottoming process happening here. I I look at this break of the downtrend from the 2015 high. I see a triangle that formed more recently against the highs that we had mid-year in 2020 and towards end of year. And I see us perking through those levels. Uh, A move up towards 148, 150 over the coming weeks would not surprise me. This is not going to happen overnight. We're not going to see a GameStop-like move here. Uh, but it's something there I think is compelling when you consider the broader theme of the market. And, you know, we were discussing earlier, I just mentioned uh, February 2009 was the last time we saw this kind of turnover in hedge fund positioning closer to the bottom than the top in stocks in risk. And pound yen should continue to rise if stocks are well positioned to go to the upside. Well, Chris, we appreciate you coming on. This obviously Chris Vecchio, uh, the senior currency strategist at Daily FX. You can follow Chris on Twitter, C Vecchio FX. Great follow, does really very thoughtful work. I want to thank you. I want to thank my dear friend Dan Nathan, who always is bringing the fire to these things. And I obviously want to thank our presenting sponsor, IGUS, one of the fastest growing foreign exchange dealers in North America. Folks, thanks for joining us. We'll see you back next week for the macro setup. 